my point is we can do some stars. Um, let me tell you about somebody else, Kate Forbes. She's 31 years old. She's also an MSP, a member of the Scottish Parliament. She's also a Christian. And early this year, she was promoted to the Cabinet Secretary for Finance and the Economy in Scotland, with only two hours to go before she had to deliver the budget. She wants to be salt and light in politics. And in an interview with Nick Robinson on the Today programme on BBC Radio 4, she said this, To be straight, I believe in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me, saved me, and that my calling is to serve and to love him and to serve and love my neighbours with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. So that, for me, is essential to my being. Politics will pass. I was a person before I was a politician, and that person will continue to believe that I am made in the image of God. The spectator picked up on this and they praised her for her courage in being such, so vocal about her faith, but they anticipated it might damage her career in the politic sphere. Well, we'll see, hey? 31 years old. Uh, today is the ninth and the final in our series looking at core values. We're looking at the core values of our family of churches. And number nine is this, that the church is to be both salt and light in its location, impacting the culture of the community. That's, that's one of the values that has gripped us, that has shaped us as a movement of churches. As a church as well, this, is, this has been called to us over the decades. I've been reminded of a prophetic word that came to us in 1995. Some of the things you share in this kind of setting, some of the things that we've picked up on already this morning, we might just write them down. Reflect on them in years to come. Well, back in 1995, and this still lives with us today, someone said that we would be a tree that affects a region, an oak that will not just grow tall and be visible, but will grow out in influence and in its effect. That's still in the heart of what this church is about. And as we move into a new season in the life of this church, and as we move into a new normal in this world, it's important we remember what we're founded on. Interesting that came through right at the beginning this morning, looking, about, looking at the wise and the foolish builders. What we founded on. Well, some things are immovable. And yeah, we may build differently. It may look different above ground. But the things that underpin it, the blueprints, the terms of reference that have shaped us thus far and are good will continue to shape us. So let's look at um, how Jesus came upon this metaphor. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Just a few verses right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. This is where the phrase salt and light comes from. It comes from the teaching of Jesus, Jesus Christ. He said this. It'll be behind me. could be in your Bibles if you want to follow it. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And Father in heaven, I just pray again uh, right now, you'd come and help us. Help us understand what Jesus was saying there. Help us to apply it into our lives. Help us to understand our identity as your people. Help us to understand our responsibility as your people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. Amen. Amen. Right, well, this morning, are you still all right? Should we do some star jumps? What do you think? Yeah? yeah. Uh, I've got a, a couple of observations, three warnings, and, and a bunch of suggestions. Okay, so observation number one from this text is, the world is dark and decaying. That's the implication of what Jesus is saying here. That's God's assessment when he looks out across the planet. Yeah, there's lots of good going on, yeah? Let's not, get, let's not miss that. But, but there's also a lot of darkness and a lot of decay. Let me give you a few reminders as if we needed them. Did you know the UK has one of the highest rates of drug-induced deaths in Europe and it's increasing? Did you know the number of UK couples getting married is at an all-time low? Did you know that over 400,000 children were suspended from school for disruptive behaviour only three years ago? Did you know the number of violent crimes in England and Wales has increased by over 1.1 million in the last 13 years? Did you know that half of UK adults watch pornography, as do four in five 16 to 17-year-olds? Did you know that the abortion rate in England and Wales is at the highest rate since the Abortion Act was introduced in 1968? Did you know that 30,000 migrants tried to cross the English Channel on boat over the last year, three times more than in previous years, than last year? Did you know the number of looked-after children in the UK has increased annually for the last 10 years? Did you know that number of young homeless people in England this Christmas could reach a five-year high of 29,000 18 to 34-year-olds? We know, we watch the news, <laughs> and we, we read the newspapers, we know there's a brokenness, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rottenness, there's an evil in our world. That's observation number one. <laughs> observation number two, God sees this, and God has a solution. God's solution. It's good to see you, Stuart. <laughs> He's just come from the Caribbean. Anyway, maybe he hasn't. It's been a few weeks. Um, God's solution is to send the church, to commission his people to make a difference in this world. Jesus tells his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You see, in his day, Back in Jesus' day, salt really was primarily used to preserve things, to preserve meat, rub it in, and it will last a lot longer. It won't go off quite so quickly. Before fridge freezers were invented, before they'd worked out how to put food in tins, you know, before they were pickling jars, they rubbed it with salt to keep things going. And in those days as well, homes were often just one room. And so a light on its stand in the middle would light the whole place, and everybody would benefit from it. The church is to have that kind of dual impact and influence on society. We're meant to be both salt and light. We're, we're meant to help preserve and penetrate. We're meant to stop the rot and promote the truth. We're called to make a difference to our community, to our nation, to our world. We're, we're called to make a difference individually in the arenas that God has placed us. We're called to make a difference uh, as a church community. 
by sharing the gospel, by serving the community. We're called to partner with other churches because we can do more together than we can apart. That's what it is to be salt and light. We are salt and light. Now it's our turn to be salt and light. So they're the two observations. And so I've got a few warnings for you. The first warning is not to compromise, but to stay distinct. About being salt, Jesus said this, if salt loses its saltiness, that's a tongue twister, uh, how can it be made salty again? It can no longer, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I think this is a stark warning. Jesus isn't mincing his words here at all. He's basically saying, look, it's possible to be a believer, to be a Christian, to be one of my children, and to be useless, a useless Christian. I think that's the, the shock of what Jesus is saying. It's no longer good for anything, words of Jesus, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's, it's, no, it's about as useful as road dust. This salt is, is so contaminated, it may as well just be chucked out. You, you can't take the grains of, of salt out of it anymore. It's no longer good at preserving the food. Might as well just put it out with the waste, with the trash. You see, Christians are meant to be different. Have you worked that out yet? <laughs> as God's people, as his representatives on earth, we are to be different. We're, we're meant to be. As different as salt is to me, as different as light is to dark, as different as the kingdom of heaven is to the kingdom of earth. That's how different we're to be. And if we're genuinely following Jesus, we will find, compared with our neighbors and our colleagues and those around us, that we hold radically different values than they. Have you discovered that? We, we will we will have radically different lifestyles for those around us. It's meant to be that way. As I say, this, this passage is right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous teaching of Jesus. Lots of people love the teaching of Jesus. Have you ever tried to live it out? It's different. It's not, it's not the norm. It's, it's not what's out there. It's not what you're seeing reflected in your TV shows, in your box sets. It's, it's not. It's different. It's radical. And sometimes these areas of contrast between God's people and the world, they're, they're quite stark. Sometimes maybe less so. It just depends. Over time, the clash point with the dominant culture differs. But, but we are, by definition, a counterculture as church. We are. We're, we're not to fit in in every area. Of, of the culture around us. We're meant to feel uncomfortable. It's the only way. We're not, as one commentator put it, we're not the honey of the earth. All smooth, sweet and sickly. I know we're the salt. Go bite. You know, following Jesus, if you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you perhaps to look at it over this week, particularly because... They all referenced it right at the beginning as well in terms of uh, building our life on Jesus. It says things like this in summary. But following Jesus means sex is for marriage and marriage is for life. Even when it's boring and difficult. 
Following Jesus means loving your enemies and hating materialism and celebrating persecution, says Jesus. Following Jesus means pulling the plug on pornography and swinging an axe to anxiety. Yeah, just, just read it. It's, it's, it's there. Mahatma, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, the Hindu founder of the modern state of India, was once asked why he so often quoted the words of the Sermon on the Mount, but refused to follow Jesus Christ. The famous quote, he said, I don't reject Christ, I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. I think Jesus is saying something similar here. As they see your deeds, so they will glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to be different. And that's our first warning, that we don't, we're not compromised. By, by being in the culture, by being in the world, that we, we, we lose our grit, we lose our salt. That's why being, I guess, an active, engaged member of a local church community like this is all the more important. A church community that, of course, is submitted to God's word and soaked in God's spirit because if we're to be in the world but not of the world, we need to make sure we're in the church and of the church. If we're going to be hot on holiness and radical on obedience, if we're going to resist conforming to the pattern of this world that we're bombarded with on a daily basis, we need to be amongst, within, God's people where we share the values, where we share the commitment to following the same Lord and Saviour where we're looking at the same book and looking to live it out in our own lives, where we can strengthen one another. That's why we meet weekly. That's why we meet twice weekly. Because there's a, a big world out there. Uh, and we need to stay strong and not be compromised and know what we're, we're living out. So uh, that's, that's number one in terms of warning. Number two warning is not to withdraw, but to stay visible. About being the light of the world, Jesus said this, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the warning here is we must not withdraw. We must be involved in the world if we're to influence the world. I used to live in northwest London, and in the borough of Harrow, after living there for many, many years, I came to realize there's a very large um, brethren, uh, Plymouth Brethren Christian community. But you'd be forgiven for not noticing them, even though they were hundreds strong. Um, because even amongst the urban sprawl of, you know, the cosmopolitan city of London, their buildings were, were good buildings, but they were hidden, out of sight. They didn't advertise their services. They had their own little economy amongst themselves to a large extent. They had their own exclusive schools. They didn't particularly mix. And then not so long ago, I watched a documentary about um, the Darvel Bruderhof community who are based down near Robertsbridge uh, on the way to Hastings, so not too far away from us. And uh, something of their commune life, as they were kind of similar really, was very attractive, I must say. But they were, they were shut away. They, they didn't integrate much with the rest of the world. 
And I've been reflecting on those things and thinking, Lord, I can understand the, the kind of instinct. We don't want to be compromised. We, we want to stay those who are people of the book. And so maybe, maybe we should just shut ourselves away and just be protective and just live in our little ghetto. And I understand the instinct. But also understand it's easy to criticize those who've completely withdrawn because I felt a little a conviction. And it's relevant for me, maybe it's relevant for you as well, that you know, it's possible as believers that we, we can live among the world but still be invisible in plain sight. We can still be as withdrawn from engaging with the people amongst whom God's placed us in the world as those who kind of got their own plot of land and kind of pulled up the drawbridge. I think there's still a challenge for us to engage with all the unbelieving people around us in every setting that we've been placed. A pandemic, I think, has also put a lid on us a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, it's through no fault of our own, but there's a time, isn't there, to lift the lid, to be visible again, to, to be put back on the stand. How we do that might be different to how we used to do that. We might have to find, we might need to discern, we might need to kind of explore with God and, and get his inspiration for how. As a church, we're doing that, aren't we? We in, it's been fantastic over the last couple of years. The, the debt centers got going, and, and the food bank satellite is there. We're, as a church, we're finding new ways. We didn't do these things before. New ways to, to, to be that lamp on the stand, to, to, to be visible. But, but there must be more together and individually that God has for us to get involved with. And the third warning uh, from this passage, I, I sense, is one of inertia. Inactivity, if you like. And, I, I, and one reason for that may be the task is huge here. What, what Jesus is asking us to be is, is massive. Such a, a wide remit. And just as the salt had to be kind of rubbed into every fiber of the meat, and, and just as the light had to penetrate into every dark corner of the house, so the gospel, the good news of Jesus needs to, to influence every sphere of society. It really does. It needs to get out there and be spread around. So we can be, I guess, a little bit overwhelmed by the size of the task, by where do we begin in all of this? But the danger is, of course, we, we do nothing. We never quite get going. I think the key, though, is we each realize we've got a part to play. I, I have a part to play. We can't each do everything, but if we each do something together, much can be done. It's about taking responsibility for the arenas in which God has placed us. And the wonderful thing is that nothing is out of scope. Nothing is outside of, of God's desire for, for, for the influence of his, his name and his gospel and his good news to go. So whatever your occupation, whatever your vo vocation you're already on the front line. By definition, you are right there. Whether you're an accountant or a gardener, a stay-at-home, a full-time carer, an entrepreneur, an astrophysicist, a civil servant, or a barista. It's all relevant. 
It's all a place where God wants his salt and his light to, to preserve and to penetrate. You know, whatever your passion, whatever your area of interest, it could be football or, or fossils or fiction or flower arranging, it, it, it's valid. Because it's another corner of the house of this world that God wants his light to penetrate. It's good, actually, if we're a varied bunch. We've all got different things going on, different interests, different places in society. It's a good thing because that way the salt and the light can get to every sphere and sector and strata of our society. I was reminded uh, this week about um, a Christian who's alive in the 1820s. Any of you around in the 1820s? No, of course you weren't. Um, and in the 1820s, uh, alcoholism was rife. One of the darknesses, one of the decaying areas of, of, of UK life. Um, partly, people were drinking gin like it was water. Because, to be honest, the water was terrible, and you could get ill by drinking the water. So gin was the kind of alternative, and knocking it back. Uh, and it didn't do anybody any good. And actually, it, it didn't do society any good. There was, there was you know, increased... Crime, there was increased poverty. And this guy called John, Christian John, surnamed Cadbury, he started to manufacture cocoa and chocolate as an alternative. And it was quite successful. Um, and as an organization, as a company over the years, they, uh, you might have heard of it, you, uh, they, they, they campaigned for all sorts of social reform, like uh, you know, the abolition of child labour, for example, because they used to put kids up chimneys to clean the soot out in this country uh, only 200 years ago. And they campaigned for things like that. And they, they modelled as well different types of business practices, different better working conditions, if you like. They gave generous salaries. They, they made provision for education for the children of their workers, for the health care of their workers. They, they, they started pensions for their workers, and affordable housing in Bourneville Garden Village. Uh, if you've ever been to that Cadbury world, you go through, near there anyway. Even today, Cadbury still has some of those values at heart, even though, you know, a bit like your school, the, maybe the Christian values have been somewhat watered down, but they're still at the forefront of fair trade and sustainability as a brand. Look, salt and light, the, the application for this, you know, for all, all of us to go away, think about, chew over, work out in our own lives, it's, it's, it's enormous. It's too broad, really, for me to bring uh, a complete sense of application. But I've got a few suggestions. And some of these may be relevant for you, or they might just inspire you on your journey going forward. Firstly, I'd say, look, let's, let's each take a first step. Or next little step. And it's going to be different for different ones of us. For some of us, it's going to be, I want to be that outstanding worker for my employer, as Liz has modeled and, and shared about this morning. Or it might be, no, I'm going to be someone who doesn't gossip, who doesn't, doesn't get involved in that conversation in the office or in that circle of friends. For others, it may be, no, I'm going to visit that elderly neighbor. I'm going to go and pay them a visit, see if they need anything, see if they just want to chat. For others, it may be, I'm going to be a really positive influence at the school gate with those other parents, with, with some of the teachers 
in that school. So let's get started. Second application point, I'd say let's talk more about faith. That's one I, I know I need to take on board. I don't mean amongst you. <laughs> I do enough of that. I, I, mean, I mean with others in the arenas outside of this church community that I've been placed amongst. I need to talk more about faith. I'll just remind you of that Kate Forbes example right at the beginning, the politician, and her interview with Nick Robinson on, uh, on Radio 4 one morning. She actually went on in the article I read in, in Christianity magazine. Thank you, Neil, for lending me your Christianity magazine. She, she said a couple of things about uh, how to respectfully and appropriately talk about your faith in other settings. She said, firstly, know what you believe and why you believe it. I think that's so helpful. She said, it's a lot easier to represent and to defend a position that you, you inherently believe than one you just think that Christians should believe. And we, it's true, isn't it? We need to do our homework in that sense. We need to know for ourselves. We need to go back to the source. No, no, no. What do I believe on some of these contemporary issues? Some of the themes that is in the kind of media of the day. Some of the topics that come up in conversations at the coffee meetings or, or down the pub or wherever it may be. I, I need to know a Christian response to this. And we need each for ourselves not to just inherit Pick up someone else's answer. No, 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 we need our own answer. Because you need a firm footing. You need to be convinced. You need conviction. You, you need to, to kind of work this through with God and then work out how to say it. Secondly, she says, not only that, figure out how to build bridges. I guess relationally, but in the way you word things, you've got to build bridges. There's no point, you know, running in there, saying something really brave, but actually unhelpful in a way that doesn't help build relationally. I mean, the gospel's offensive enough on its own. Let's, let's not add to it. Let's build bridges. And I guess that's going to involve trial and error. We will make mistakes. So come on, let's just pick ourselves up again and go again. So thirdly, I'm, uh, just randomly really, uh, I know there's this trend for working from home. Uh, of course, the pandemic insisted upon it and all the restrictions. Uh, and for some sectors, for some of you, it won't be relevant. You can't work from home. It doesn't work. But for some, it, it, it's, it's, it's a new trend. Um, the broadband effectiveness has also accelerated, I guess. And I, I get the, the advantages. There are real advantages. And I'm not knocking working from home. It's got some advantages. But I would just say to those of you who, who are in that situation, as things open up, as well as all the other factors, please consider this. Lord, how am I meant to be salt and light in my workplace to my colleagues? Look, I know Zoom, I know it works. Yeah, it does, and you can. And I know when I was last in that kind of working environment, it was only eight years ago, but it feels like an age ago. It feels like another era because the workplace has moved on so much. But for me, it was going for lunch in that 45-minute lunch break with my colleagues. It was, it was having those coffee breaks. It was having those corridor chats. It was those after-work drinks sometimes where I felt that's one arena that I can be a bit of salt, a bit of light in the workplace. So the principle has to remain true. So Lord, help us now in this new universe. Yeah. How am I, whether it's at home or in the office, how am I to be salt and light in this environment? Um, fourthly, I'd say, let's decide to speak up. I'm in a WhatsApp group with some of my badminton buddies, and really the primary aim of it is just to make sure we've got a few, enough of us to play badminton on a Wednesday night. But of course, there's a bit of banter and a bit of humour goes around, as you can imagine. And uh, lo and behold, one of these memes went up. It was a little bit different in tone, shall I say. 
Um, it was mildly amusing, but it was clearly sexist. And it was of a sexual nature. And it was really interesting. One of the other guys, not a Christian, he, he, he had obviously thought about this very carefully, but he, he, he worded a little WhatsApp message to say, let's stick to badminton. I don't want to receive this type of message. I thought, that's really brave. Good on him. But then I thought, maybe that should have been me. Aren't I called to be the salt and light? Anyway, that was interesting. Uh, Recently, I read a book by a guy called Michael Fuller. He was Britain's first black chief constable. And uh, it was his autobiography. It was a fascinating and really good read about his life and his journey, his story. But it also, in there, he drew out, if you like, how he dealt with racist comments in the workplace. Banter, comments, you know, put-downs in different contexts. Actually, he's, and he rose right to the top. You know, I think it was Kent, Kent Police Service that he was uh, top of. And uh, he, he sucked it up. Well, that's interesting. He didn't comment. He kept his lips buttoned. And uh, I guess for, out of fear, perhaps, that it would derail his career. Out of fear, perhaps, that it would attract more negative attention than he really wanted. But one of the things, I mean, he did contribute, actually, to, to some of the other organizations that were set up to kind of counter some of these things. But what it made me realize, maybe more deeply than I've ever realized it before, is it's, it's really somebody who's not being targeted by the discrimination or discriminatory language who needs to speak up. And I kind of realized that, yeah, if I'm in that context, you know, white majority context, and there's something being said that's derogatory against people of black skin color, I shouldn't be waiting for them to say anything. It's, it's, it's down to me, as, as a white guy, to say something. Similarly, with, with the kind of, you know, the sexist banter, I shouldn't be waiting for the ladies to say, hold on a minute. No, no, as a man. I, and I got that, I think, for the first time to that extent. So I'll just say, look, come on, let's be those who speak up. If, if we're going to see culture change, and, and there's a need for it, isn't there? Where are they they're shining the spotlight in, in the cricket dressing room at the moment? You know, there's other... Sp- Come on, we, we need to see culture change. And God sent us out of the salt cellar to, to, to be change makers. And fifthly, let's, tr- let's consider trying something new. It could be that you have a hobby or a leisure pursuit that just needs to be revived. Or you put it on the back burner, but now's the time. Because God wants you amongst the park runners or the babbling buddies or whatever you might be uh, keen to do. Or it could be, look, let's be open to saying yes when someone says, you know, we need a new committee member. We need a, we need a new school governor. Would you like to go forward? We, we need someone to, uh, to, to, to coach the netball team. Let's be those who are ready to say yes. Uh, it could be something completely new, you know, job clubs, clean sheet, and Cadbury's all started with one Christian and, a, and one dream, and, and they have been used mightily. I'm just wrapping up. Christmas, Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Jesus. Jesus is God come to earth to be salt and to be light to this world.